Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you. I was telling the guys earlier in soundtrack this morning, um, I, this is not normal for me. I don't, this isn't my normal uh, mode. I'm always usually excited that others are preaching and, and I, I enjoy it, but I don't typically miss it because <clears throat> people are qualified and, and, and we're in good hands um, here. So uh, I, I feel like we've been fed well, but I missed this. I just missed being here. And I think it's because the subject matters are, are right now gripping my heart in such a way that is, I uh, hope it's gripping yours in the same way. What, what is worship? It's got me thinking a ton about how I construct my life. I don't know how you construct yours, but it's had me thinking a ton. And Russell was so gracious to give me, in my opinion, what is the easiest of all of the four weeks to hit. And that is, what is worship going to look like in the life to come? What will worship be like when Jesus returns and takes us home? What will it look, what will we do? What, um, I, I have been enthralled with this. And I want to go ahead and on the front end of this, recommend a book to you entitled Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's a fantastic book. It's well worth the read. It's a good one to have on your, uh, on your shelf. It's a thick book, so you probably won't read it in one sitting, um, but you will benefit from it greatly um, as you look into the subject matter. So... Um, I don't know what your thoughts are in heaven. If you were like me, you grew up with an image of heaven that was a little bit boring. So my father's a pastor. My mother has walked with the Lord. I love to this day rise up and call her blessed. And so I had a very clear understanding of the gospel itself, who Jesus was, God, Holy Spirit. I was taught well as a child. I didn't follow any of it until later on in college. But by golly, I was taught well. And so I, here's what I thought about heaven. Heaven is going to be the place where nothing fun slash sin happens. Because in my mind, there was no way that Christians could have fun because they're trying not to sin. And my experience had been that sin was a whole lot of fun. And so if heaven is going to be completely absent from that, then what in the world are we going to do? While we're up there, and you throw in some cartoons, and as great as the theology is of Looney Tunes in there, about when we rise, we'll have wings on our bodies, and we'll be floating around in clouds, and we'll be singing uh, forever. And so I grew up in the South. I'm a typical Southern boy who hates to sing. Everyone else hates to hear me sing, so it was a good match for me to be quiet. And I just, if we're going to be singing in heaven for all of eternity which I don't even grasp to begin with. I, I want nothing to do with that. I, I was thinking more along the lines of ACDC. I'm on a highway, and my theology at that age thought, and that's going to be really good. Now, praise God, he reached into my heart, time and space, changed me, and I now have a very different perspective. If I were to ask you, though, what is worship going to look like in heaven? How would you respond? I want to take you all the way back to week one, and Russell spent some time, and he gave us a, a, a very entertaining illustration. Right at the end of that, he said, I have a fear that if we only think about music when we think about worship, we're going to miss the point entirely. And so this entire series, if we've only been thinking about music, what takes place on Sunday mornings, which is a part of worship, but it is worship in the narrow sense as opposed to in the broad sense, 
If all we're thinking about is what takes place on Sunday morning, we are radically missing the point. So, what he shared with us in week one is that everybody worships something. And what we worship will determine who we become. Bob came back and talked about disordered worship. When our worship is disordered, our lives follow suit. Mike last week said the exact opposite. When our worship is ordered, our lives follow suit. Today, I want you to know this. The day is coming when our worship will be ordered and our lives will absolutely follow suit. Our lives in heaven will follow suit because we will be permanently ordered in our worship. And there will never be a misstep in thought, in word, indeed, not in, even in motive. It will be the most godlike that we will ever be in terms of our behavior. Now, I, I hope later on and we'll paint a picture for you that I think will be compelling for all of us. If it's not compelling, then you probably just aren't breathing. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Revelation. We're going to read a portion of Revelation 21 and then a portion of Revelation 22. So it'll be just the first five verses in 21, then we'll skip over to chapter 22 and read the first five verses over there. So in honor of God's word itself, would you stand as we give our attention to what he has to say? Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Skip over the verse to chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 uh, kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There'll be no not a light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. You may be seated. Now, I won't walk us through like we normally would each of these texts, but we're going to draw out some of the major principles, but we do need to do some work right here on the front end of what we read in chapter 21. So he says, he sees a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passes away and the sea is no more. Now, first thing we need to know is we're reading the book of Revelation right now. What is Revelation? Let me answer this uh, very, very simply for you. Nobody really knows what to entitle it. 
It's a weird book. It's instructive. It's of God. It's God-breathed. Lots of folks have different titles for what they want to uh, to lay to it. It talks about some end times. It talks about some uh, present times. The book of Revelation is where John goes, and he goes to what's called the third heaven. I I don't know what that is. I, I just know this. It's not a bad trip that he had while he was smoking something. He is walking in the power of the Spirit, and he sees something that God gives him a unique and special vision of. I don't know how God did that. I can tell you that to this day, God is still giving visions to people that are pretty doggone impressive. Friends of mine who are missionaries in the Middle East have relayed some stories to me that, um, that I, I just go, that just sounds so like God. Let me just give you one of them. Person in the Middle East, and this has happened dozens of times, will have this dream slash vision. They might be asleep, they might be awake, but then just see something in their mind's eye and their head, and they don't know what it means. And so they get a sense that they're being led to a specific person. They find that specific person, and then they say, would you share with me what this means? And the story usually goes something along these lines. I see all of these dirty sheep, and they're covered in mud and muck. And the shepherd makes his way out to him, and the shepherd has blood on his hands. And he touches each of the sheep, and the shepherd dies. And the shepherd then comes back to life, and all of the sheep are turned from all of this dirt and mud and muck, and they are white as snow. Can you tell me what does this mean? Now, if you have spent 20 minutes at Wildwood Church, you could interpret that vision. It doesn't take some special connection. It doesn't take some uber great feeling. You don't have to get in some particular mode. The truth of that is apparent. God is doing that in the Middle East in in large numbers. Now, what is John? I don't know what John experienced. John experiences a vision from God. And God opens up for him. Some really interesting things uh, in here. By the time we get to this section right here, he is putting in the concluding part of the Bible. You know that the Bible can be divided up into three basic sections, don't you? The first two chapters of Genesis, the last two chapters of Revelation, and everything else in between. This is what life was like before sin. This is what life will be like after sin is no more. This is what life is like during sin and all of its effects. God creates, God restores ultimately. God has a relentless pursuit of redeeming all in here. And the last two chapters are looking at what life is like to come. And John sees this vision in his head. It's a new heaven and it's a new earth. Now, folks debated this even before John had written this. They had had this idea and this notion that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. The rabbis discussed this and in their theology, there was a couple of basic thoughts. One was that there would be a complete annihilation and destruction of that which is in existence right now. And the other was that there would be a restoration of what was to come. Can I just cut to the chase for you without going through all the details, without the time this morning? We believe now there is going to be some level of continuity, that there are things here on the earth that will continue on into the earth that is to come. That some things that were done here 
will remain. They will still be present in heaven. I have a sense, a hunch, this is a David hunch, that some of the buildings that have been created here will stand throughout all of eternity. I may be dead wrong. But there is going to be some level of continuity between this earth and next. In other words, our bodies are going to be raised again to life, and then we're going to have a perfected body. So we're going to have somewhat of the same body, but it's going to be perfected into the future. I don't understand that. I know that I'm going to look a lot more like you than I look like me right now, though, because he works out a lot. There's going to be some level of continuity between that which is and that which is to come, but there's also going to be some discontinuity. There's going to be some things that are just completely wiped away, done away with, started over. I don't know of any theologian worth his or her salt that can tell you exactly what that's going to be. But John sees this vision. And it's this new heaven and it's a new earth. It's a new Jerusalem and it's coming down. And then he tells us it's like a bride that is prepared for a husband. I think we would be wrong to try to create three completely separate things in there. I think it's all referring to one of the same thing. He sees it. God is speaking. God is moving. He's, he's pouring into John's vision and sight to put something down in paper for all of us to this day. Can I ask you a quick question? Have you ever been at work or in school or in the early days of parenting? Or in, you fill in the blank with whatever it is. Have you ever been in a place where you think, we've got a long haul to go here? There's a lot that needs to happen. And it seems as though we're just getting started, and I'm already tired. Maybe you've made a commitment that says, I'm going to lose X number of pounds of weight. Or maybe you've made a commitment that says, I'm going to make X number of calls for the next year. Or whatever it may be, you're, you're trying to do the best you can to rear your children um, with your family plan. And how you're going to create these values and instill them, etc. I, I don't know what it may be. But you may come to a place to say, I, we're just getting started. And I don't know that I've got the strength to keep going moving forward. How important is it for you to make sure that you keep the end in mind, while you're there at even the beginning or the middle or three-fourths, isn't the end result what you're ultimately pursuing? Doesn't that matter? Here's what John tells us, right, church? John tells us the end is coming, but it's really just the beginning. It's going to be the beginning of everything that currently right now you long for deep inside of you. This is coming to an end. Endure. Keep pressing forward. Keep on. Stay at the task. And know that the beginning is going to... Here's the image that he gives us. There are three things that I think we need to see in, in between these two sections, chapter 21 here and chapter 22. The first one is this, is that the presence of God will remain. See this here. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Over in chapter 22, he talks to us about this river that is flowing forth. It was not the river that was coming out of Eden. It was not even the one in Ezekiel that was coming out of the temple. This is 
The river that is coming out of the throne itself. It is God who is bringing about his. God is going to give us his presence. Okay, let me say this. God is going to give us his presence permanently. God is going to give us his presence permanently. For some of us, we have lost loved ones in the last year, in the last decade. And there is no pain like the pain of separation. Those that we have loved, it may be children, it may be spouses, it may be siblings. It may, um, every day that goes by, it becomes more and more of a reality for me as I think about my aging parents. And I don't know how much longer I will have them here on the earth. And I know when that day comes, it will be, in many ways, one of the worst days of my life. Either one. They're both really cool. But that day is coming, and I know for certain, because I've been in ministry long enough, and I've been in life long enough to know there is no pain like the pain of separation. Ask a parent who says goodbye to a child as they go off to war. Ask a mother who finally has her last go off to college. Ask a child whose parents separate permanently. There is no pain like the pain of separation in our spiritual pilgrimage. Dare I say that the bulk of the time that we experience the deepest levels of pain, it is because we do not sense the presence of God. I think that we could handle almost anything if the presence of God remained with us. But what we get here on this earth, we get moments. We get little vignettes. We get little tastes, little appetizers of what it's like to walk so intimately with God that his presence is so near that we really sense as though we could in some ways reach out and touch him. And we all have experienced it at some point in our lives. And then when it goes away, it only makes it all the more difficult to experience the norm. But what he tells us here in Revelation He's saying, church, I want you to know the day is coming and it's going to be the beginning of all of eternity. This world right here is coming to an end. Your life is coming to an end. The new heaven and the new earth is coming down. And what I see, the first thing that I want you guys to understand is that God will be with his people. You will no longer go into a closet and cry out from the Psalms the same thing David said, and that is, where are you? How long will you hide your face from me? You will be in the presence of God. You will walk right up to him. You will see him. You will speak with him. There'll never be a single moment for all of eternity in which you won't experience the abiding, rich, satisfying presence of the almighty God. But we are not there yet. Do you think your worship would look different today if you sensed his presence? Worship is just simply our response to God for who he is and what it is that he has done. Do you think your response to God 
would be different at all if you really, truly sensed his presence with you. I know there have been many times in my life in which I have tried to manufacture his presence. Tried to force him. I feel like one of those Israelites, when they made the golden calf, they weren't really worshiping a golden calf. They were doing the best that they could to follow the surrounding nations who would build idols in the hopes that God himself would come and give his presence to them through this idol. They were trying to force God to come and to be with them. We, we will no longer experience any level of separation. That's the first thing he wants to see. The second thing is that sin and all of its effects will be removed. Notice he says down there, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. In, verse, in chapter 22, go down there, there towards the end of verse 5, he says, And night will be no more. There will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. He's telling us here that, that there will no longer be any effects of sin. Now, I don't think that I have to illustrate this to you, but will you please for just a moment imagine with me what life would look like if there was not only any sin, but there was not any effects of sin any longer in the world in which we live in. Let me just give you just a few. Imagine life where there is never again any misunderstanding. There is always and only perfect communication from person A to person B to person C to person D. And by the time the message gets from person A to person Z, it's the exact same message. And your face is recognized for what it actually is. The body language is understood completely. Benefit of the doubt is given. No, there is never again any level of misunderstanding anywhere. Would you like to be involved in a marriage like that? Would you like to be involved in a parenting child relationship like that? Would you like to have a boss and co-working relationship like that? Would you like to have a neighborhood like that? Would you like to be able to speak to your doctor who you won't even need in heaven like that? No, no misunderstanding whatsoever. No need to go back and say, I'm so sorry that I said it this way. I know it came across, there's anger in me. I'm, I got my junk that I'm dealing with. You don't have to do that. You just simply say it and it's uplifting, it's building, it's constructive, it's good, it's right. And everybody says, woohoo! No misunderstanding. How about this one? What would a life look like with no sexual sin? No one is taken advantage of. No one is hurt. No one is used. No one is even lusted after. In fact, people are only and always appreciated and the full beauty inside and out of who they are is fully appreciated, valued, honored, Respected. 
No need for anyone to spend time separated from the rest of society with some bars in front of them so that they will no longer bring any damage to any child or woman or whatever it may be. There is no longer any sin. There is no longer a need for someone to feel as though they've been betrayed. Someone they've been married to for 10, 15, 20 years. You won't find out that there's somebody else on the side. What if there was no sin that had to do with physical intimacy? Is that a world you want to live in? What if there was no longer the effects of sin? What if there was no longer any depression? What if there was no longer any thoughts that anyone had of themselves that was not true and accurate? They no longer thought too highly of themselves, but they also didn't think too lowly of themselves. They thought accurately. They viewed themselves in the way that Scripture mentions. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. They appreciated all that God had put inside of them, saw the benefit for society, for others as a whole. There was no longer a need to be down about anything. There was no longer a need to sleep in bed for days on end. There was no longer any chemical issues that were going on in people that, that made it extraordinarily difficult for them to get out of bed. What if there was no longer any thoughts about self and others that was not accurate about our psychological makeup? What if there was no more multiple personalities? No more psychotics? People who always and only walked around saying, how can we work together and do something great? Hi, my name is David. I don't know if you build stuff or not. I don't. But I would like for us to try to build something. We have a little bit of time. It probably will only take me about 1,000 years to figure it out. What if... There was no longer any jealousy or gossip. What if there was no more comparing ever again? What if there was no more, I'm trying to figure out who I am in light of who you are, and, and I want you to succeed, but I don't want you to succeed too much because it's going to make me look really bad here. What if we always and only celebrated the successes of everyone? And when I saw that someone else did something that I was not wired to do, I went, yes, you go, God, this is fantastic. And when they saw that I did something, they don't, yes, go, God. What if there was never again a bad report that was given from one person to another about a person who was not there? But it was only talking about all of the good things that they bring to this world. Is this a world you would want to live in? Do you know the reason why you'd want to live in this world? Because God put it in your heart. He created you in his image. And you know that what I'm talking about, what John is giving us a vision for, you know this is right. And you have a longing inside of you that says, God, please 
bring it on. I think Paul had some insights into this as well based on some of his writings. And I think it's one of the reasons why he wrote one of his letters. Hey, I, I really, 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 really want to go ahead and be with Jesus. But I think it's probably better for you to stick around. But I'm hoping God shortens that time. You know, this is one of the reasons why we as Christians, we mourn. Because there is no pain like the pain of separation. But we don't mourn as those without hope. Because those that we love, those that have loved Jesus, those that the Father has given the Son to, that have wiped away their sins, they are in the presence of God full time and they are experiencing no sin. So we can grieve for us. But I haven't spent a single millisecond of grief for either of my grandmothers. Because they liked me. But they loved Jesus. Third and final thing for us to see in Revelation 21 and 22 is that we will belong wholly to Jesus. One verse. <laughs> no longer will there be anything accursed, verse 3 of chapter 22, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. What this means is that we will belong completely to Jesus. We will no longer ever be tempted to look over in this direction and think that this is going to be more satisfying to me than it is to be in the presence of God. We will have everything in its rightful place. Football, I think, is going to be in heaven because it's awesome. Football will take its rightful place. It will not be worshipped. It will not be valued above God. We won't have to pour all kinds of money into it. There won't be cheating that's going on in heaven. And I have no idea how God's going to choose who wins because there clearly has to be a winner. I mean, Alabama will win, of course, in heaven as they do now, just on earth as it is. I, we will no longer have our gaze set on anything else we will be able to look and we'll be able to admire and we'll be able to appreciate and value all that God has done. But we will see it through the same kind of lens that God has on it. It'll be things that God says, use this, build, grow, develop, make, create. And all of those things we will do. And we'll do it all with the attitude in the heart that says, Whatever it is that we do, we're doing this all, God, to your honor and glory. Because it'll be done with a pure motive. And I won't make any of my identity around being a pastor. Because you know what job is leaving in heaven, don't you? God's not coming to me one day and saying, hey, man, Dave, you know we're really missing, we're missing a devotional. Can, I, can you come in and can you just share with us a little bit about what's true and all that? Jesus is here. 
He's standing right here. His presence is manifested all over the entire cosmos that will be new. There's not one square inch of all that is in existence where we won't be able to sense his presence. And so you no longer have a pastor that's needed to say, by the way, remember, it's about Jesus. I have a feeling I'm going to have a towel. And I'm going to be serving. I'm probably going to be serving a lot of you. Probably going to be coming by to your massive mansions and wiping the windows. I'm going to have a little hut. My mom's going to walk around with a crown that's about the size of, of, of Saturn. No longer will we be tempted by any, everything will take its right. So, so here's the whole thrust of this series. You ready for this? Do you know what we're going to do in heaven? We're going to live life as God intended it to be lived, which means that in everything that we say, in everything that we do, in everything we think, in everything that we feel, every single action from us is going to be God-honoring, Christ-centered, Spirit-filled. It will build. It will bring life we will join him in the process rather than work against him and work towards death. Nothing that we will do will not be worship. But this only comes for those who want that life. It only comes to those who say, I want to be a part of that and I recognize that the only way for that to happen is for God. To be on his rightful throne. This is where the water comes out of. Chapter 22. The, it, the river of life comes out of the throne of God. He himself is the source of all life and goodness. And so it is God who is going to be providing all of this. And only those who want God on the throne. Only those who now say, Lord, please help me bow the knee of submission to you, would you please not let me get away with living my own life in my own way, the way that I want it for me? Would you help me submit now in my marriage? Help me submit now in my parenting. God, help me fight sin. I know that I'm never gonna win the battle fully here on the earth, but God, it's the desire of my heart. Those who have a desire for God to be on the throne are the ones who will experience this. And that comes by faith. And what it is that Jesus has done. There'll be plenty who want life without sin. The question is, do you want God to reign and rule over you right now? Do you want your life to reflect what it will look like in heaven so that a whole watching world could look in and see, ooh, that's attractive. A.W. Tozer, fantastic author, says it this way. I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. If there is a stirring in your soul of the things that we have talked about in here, just painted a little bit of a picture. If there's a stirring going on in your soul that says... 
I want to be a part of that life. And I want God to use me to help bring about some of that here on the earth. It's probably a pretty good indication that you're connected to God. But if you just simply want other people to do all of that, if you want them, their problems, if you want them to change, them to fix it, you might not be connected to him. I say choose to worship him now and look forward to what's coming in heaven. Heavenly Father, thanks for your goodness, your grace, your mercy that you have extended to us. Father, we, um, we all acknowledge we can't even read what it is that you have told us about um, and, and even fully grasp it. It is hard for us to fathom what life would actually look out without sin, with your presence fully and intact and, and belonging wholly and exclusively to you. It's hard for us to even fathom. But Lord, I pray today for us, for Wildwood Church, would you make this a reality? Would you cause us to long more and more to be wholly given over to you? To surrender our lives to you. And I pray that you would not let us go too long without sensing your presence. So use us, God, in some ways to bring just a little slice of heaven to earth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.